My name is Matt McCann. I am part of the Pine Banks Gospel Community here. Uh, me and Laura, my wife, our daughter Natalie. Um, me and Laura have been here for about five years. Natalie's two and a half. Um, really happy and excited to be here with you guys this morning. So uh, why don't we get started? Today's scripture provides us a beautiful uh, window into what it looked like to be part of the early church. Uh, it shows us that since the beginning of the Christian church, there's always been two things happening simultaneously. So there's the regular, ordinary aspects of being human among humans in a space full of humans. And then there is the um, extraordinary or miraculous aspects of being a part of the church that is God being God doing only the things that God can do among God's people. So you could walk into a church service, actually, this morning on Sunday, anywhere around the world, and you'll see the exact same things that are described in the text that Allison just read for us this morning. So have you ever sat through a church service where you were sitting there and you were thinking that the preacher man probably should have stopped about 15 minutes ago? Some of you yes, some of you no. If you haven't, you're about to. You ever been in this church building on a July or August Sunday morning when it is just like 100 and this building has no AC, right? It's hot. I've been in here before during, serve, during song when everybody's standing up like this, purposely and intentionally not moving. The band has it pretty rough on those Sunday mornings. You need to go home and take a second shower after you leave. You ever sat through that uncomfortable Sunday next to a guy who just starts nodding off a bit? One of these? And then you're looking at him and you know, boom, he's out like a dead thing. And you're like, whoa, I should say something. And then all of a sudden the snoring happens and you're saying, okay, it's fine. These are things that happen in churches, right? From our text this morning, we see that it's the same in Troas, in the first century church. It's the same thing here. But there's also something much much deeper happening in the church of God, and it's beneath the human surface, right? It's beneath the ordinary messiness of life that you can see on the surface. It's God being God, and he's doing the unordinary, miraculous work that only he can do, and that is happening wherever the church of God is meeting and has been the case since the beginning of the Christian church. So keep in mind while we're going through this, just two simple things while we look at this biblical picture of the church. The things that are regular and the things that are miraculous. So if I do my job well this morning and we go through the text, you'll leave here with a vibrancy and an energy for what it is that we're doing when we gather together on Sundays. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is true and you've so graciously given it to us. I pray as we look at it together, we sit under it together that your spirit would change us. Amen. All right, so Acts 20, some real quick context, first six verses leading up to our story uh, in Troas. Paul, the, the first six verses are Luke's travel itinerary for Paul. Paul is going around with his entourage, and we know that it's his third missionary journey through the Mediterranean. He's been making disciples, being persecuted, establishing churches. Where we're at in the text is a riot just ended in Ephesus. And Luke says that before Paul left to go to Troas, he gathered the Ephesian disciples together and gave them encouragement. 
So as I'm thinking through what gospel encouragement looks like, uh, Pastor Cruz posted something very timely on the city about his trip to the Seven Mile Road Church plant in Houston. And I wanted to use that. He said this. He said, I was able to talk for a few minutes, encouraging them about all the grace they are about to take in and what it is we are doing together. And I thought, wow, that's a beautiful picture of what Luke is saying Paul is doing. Later in the text, it says that Paul went to all those other places he'd been to before, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, and he gave them much encouragement. So this is what Paul is doing, and it's what he does everywhere he goes. Much encouragement among the saints of God is part of the disciple maker's job description then, and it's part of it now. So Paul leaves, and he goes down to Greece, and he's in Corinth, And he spends about three months there, it says, and this is where he writes the book of Romans. So from Romans, we know that part of what Paul is doing is he's raising money as he visits all these churches. He's establishing the churches. He's strengthening them in the gospel. He's giving them encouragement, and he's raising money for other people. So that's what he's doing. After those three months are up, he gets ready to leave Corinth, and he's going to get on a boat, and he finds out that the Corinthian Jews have decided to board the boat with him, and send Paul sleeping with the fishes. So if you know mafioso at all, Paul's about to get fit for some cement shoes. Luke says that Paul finds out. The plot, it says, is uncovered, and so Paul just goes by land until he can get a boat and go over to Troas. So that's the context leading up, and now we're in Troas, and we can start with the beginning of this story. So here's our unique glimpse of the church. It's really cool that this is in the book of Acts. So try to hang with me here. It says that on the first day of the week, that's the when, we were gathered together to break bread and Paul talked with them. Those are the two reasons why. So the first day of the week is Sunday. I tend to think of the first day of the week as Monday. We think that because of the way our work week is structured. But the first day of the calendar week is Sunday. It was, that, it was Sunday then, it's Sunday now. So a good question to ask is, um, why are these Christians meeting on Sunday and not on the Sabbath day, which was Sunday? So if you know the Old Testament, uh, the people of God always met on the Sabbath day and it set apart the Sabbath day, which was Saturday to God depending on what part of Massachusetts you're from, you'd say Saturday. At my work, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You think it's funny, but now you're going to start saying it. You won't get it out of your head. So why are these Christians meeting on Saturday and not Sunday? The people of God have always gathered together on Sunday. So one of the Ten Commandments that God gave was observe the Sabbath, to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day, the Sabbath, keep that to the Lord. So that's pretty clear. And all I'm going to do right now is here's a big picture of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for resting from work in God because it was God's way of demonstrating that rest only comes in him. I'll say that again. The Sabbath day was resting from work in God because it was God's way of demonstrating that real rest only comes from resting in him. So for the Jew, Sabbath observance was a faith matter. The way that you would 
display this faith matter in your heart was um, if you broke that law and you said, I'm not just going to work six days. I got to work that seventh because if I don't work that seventh day, my crops won't grow. If I don't work that seventh day, my next door neighbor might get that promotion and I won't. If I don't work that seventh day, then I can't get X, Y, Z. So if your heart did that and you worked that seventh day, you proved that you didn't believe God was God, right? You didn't believe who he said, who he was, who he said he was. That he couldn't bless the one who worked six days as opposed to seven. So by resting on that seventh day on Saturday, the Jew demonstrated that their identity was found in God, that they were a child of God relying on God. So now the point of all of this was that the Jew would understand when Jesus came, he was rest in God, that Jesus was that rest in God. The only real rest for the soul that can happen is found in the accomplished work of the Son when he said, it's finished. The only rest that the soul can have is in Christ. So what is happening very early on in this passage in this Christian church that we see is with the Spirit of God inside, these Christians are getting that Jesus is their rest and that Saturday off from work is not. So because Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law, it's okay not to meet on Saturday, right? You're not a lawbreaker because you're not under the law. You're under Christ, and he is your Sabbath rest. So for the Christian, not meeting on Saturday is not a sin of God. So what are we to say? Good. And every day is mine, and I can just do whatever I feel like. Well, that's not what this text shows. That's not what we get for, from 2,000 years of church history, right? So once Jesus replaced the Sabbath, the Christians started to use Sunday as the first day of the week to gather to the place that they were congregating at because Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. So we get that from Matthew 28. It says, now after the Sabbath day, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the temple, went to the tomb. So when they got there, Jesus wasn't. Jesus had rose from the dead on Sunday. They started to call this the Lord's Day. In Revelation uh, 1.10, the Apostle John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So what are we to glean from this? It's, it's not that Sunday replaced Saturday and became the new Sabbath, as if six days out of the week are yours for work and one day is God's. No. It's that Jesus himself is the Sabbath, and that every day is a day given by Jesus for us to rest in him. But what this text and other texts referencing the Lord's day and the first day of the week are showing us is that the, Christian, the early Christians didn't stop meeting together. They started using Sunday as the day to gather and celebrate the resurrected work of Christ. So the church did continue to use one day of the week, which was Sunday, as a set-apart day for corporate worship and remembrance of what Jesus did. They gathered together on Sunday as family. So that's the when. They met together on the first day of the week. So I go next to the reason why, right? The other reason why it says is they gather to break bread. And when you hear break bread, 
Think Lord's Supper. Think communion. See this table up here with the bread in, we use grape juice, an element nonetheless of the blood. Think that when you hear break bread. So these early Christians have gathered together in one place to remember Jesus through these simple elements of bread and blood, to remember that Jesus gave himself for them and to them. The other reason it says is that Paul was going to talk with them. Paul was there to talk with them. Later, Luke writes the word conversate, Paul conversated. This first word talked is Paul preaching. It's more intentional. It means that Paul got up there and he was teaching publicly. He was presenting intelligent arguments. It would basically be the same thing that I'm doing now, only in Greek and a tunic with sandals. So summarizing this whole meeting then, they gather together on the Lord's Day to eat from the Lord's table to sit under the preaching of the word. Now, isn't that awesome to see in light of the fact that you're here right now on Sunday to sit under the preached word, to gather at the Lord's table in remembrance of the work of Christ? Does that help you to see what we're doing in light of what this description, this picture of the early church in Troas is doing? So it's not a coincidence. Now, with some of that teaching under us, let's go into the rest of this story. This is Acts 20, verse 1. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight, prolonged. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, Eutychus means fortunate, I don't know, we'll see. Young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. All right, it's midnight. Remember I asked if you've ever sat through a long sermon and struggled? How about midnight? All right, how about midnight after a day of working? with a day of working the next day. Because that's their situation. These people are going to go to work the next day. Paul prolonged his speech through midnight. They're sitting under Paul as midnight, and he talks and he talks. And when you think he's just about to wrap this thing up, he starts with a new intro on some new doctrine. In the event, these Troas Christians, they seem to be excited to be gathered with God's people, to sit under God's word, to gather at his table. And so they're there listening, and Paul just keeps going and going and going. And then there's this guy, he starts to nod off. Not very different from other Sundays you might have been a part of. The verse has given this impression that Eutychus is really trying to fight this thing off. You can't really, you can't really throw it all on Eutychus and say, oh man, what a, what, a, what a jerk here, falling asleep. It's midnight. If I got work the next day, I'm in bed at nine. So I get this, right? It's the first century. There's no AC. People are sticky. And there's no electricity, there's no lights on, so they've got Yankee Candle ripping all throughout the place. The air is filling up with smoke, it's hot, it's dense, and Eutychus is really starting to go out, so he goes, I better get over to a window and get some air. So Eutychus goes over to the open window, no Harvey, no Anderson windows, no screen in the window, and Eutychus plops himself down to get some air. And right as Paul's message is heating up, he goes, you fell in Adam. Eutychus goes right out the window. 
Now, remember what I said in the beginning. There's always two things happening in the church of God, right? There's the meeting, there's the ordinary, natural things, and then there's the supernatural, God stuff. So, so far, we've done the regular messiness. This is just regular stuff. Praise God that kids don't fall asleep in service and go out windows to their death. But for the most part, these are the things that happen when the church gathers, right? From a human perspective, this is normal stuff. Some Sundays back, we were standing uh, for a confession of sin, what we, what we just did up here earlier on. And me and Laura are trying to be repentant of our sins of the week. And Natalie is going nuts. My daughter is certified crazy. Some of your children have the bruises to show this. She's going nuts, and out of the corner of my eye, I see her rapidly go head first over the back of the seat. And I went, ah! And I tried to get her. And she went down, she hit her head, she started crying. And the whole church over here went, ah! And then I picked her up, and I left, and I was mortified. So it wasn't as bad as your kid falling into a pit with a gorilla. Oh, too soon. Um, But it was bad. I felt like the worst parent. My point is, in church, toddlers bump their heads. They run into the street. People fall asleep. I said there's no AC in the building. I've sat here on Sundays when it's hot, and what's competing for the preacher's words is the accumulating sweat in your body. We're humans. Sweat's gross. Buildings without AC are hot. You've been in here during winter months when the heat starts rushing through our radiator system and it starts sounding like we're under attack. It's distracting, right? What I'm saying is this is part of being a part of the church. It's regular human messiness of life that is happening here. When we come in here, we don't pass through a protective bubble that keeps us away from all the regular ordinary messiness of life. So if you didn't know that God exists and you came into church, for the most part, this is all you'd really see, right? You'd say, there's nothing special going on here. That kid over there has got a runny nose. He's wiping his hands all over everything. The kid next to me has got to be changed. I know, I can smell it. The lady over there hasn't slept since she gave birth, and it's been seven years now, and she's tired. She's falling asleep. (laughs) He's a part of being human. The church of God isn't exempt. So what this text shows us as it glimpses us into the first century church is that these these things are still happening, but what we see as we go on in this story is the the unordinary, the miraculous aspect of the church of God, and that is life from the dead. So what happens is Eutychus falls three stories. He's dead, 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 as not living as a rock is not living. Two things are possible when you unexpectedly fall three stories. You're either going to be severely mangled and you are going to be weeks on end in the hospital or you're a dead thing. And Dr. Luke gives us the prognosis that this young man, Eutychus, is dead. So Eutychus has gone to be with the Lord. The church is beside itself. I've been joking a lot, but... I mean, could you imagine a church family who you love just had their son who you love fall out of a window and he's dead? 
I mean, I wouldn't even uh, pick one of your kids to, to do an analogy just because the thought of it is so horrible. So this would test some faith for sure, but God is good. He loves Paul. God knows that it's getting late. Paul's sermon might need a little support, a little propping up maybe. So God throws Eutychus out the window to give Paul the most amazing illustration of all time. Paul's saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And God goes to Eutychus and he goes three stories out the window. That's an illustration. So Paul goes down. People are freaking out, flipping out. And just like in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha spread themselves out over the dead widow's sons. Paul goes down to Eutychus and he picks him up. And he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he says, but God, rich in mercy, has given us life. So, there's the regular stuff happening in a church, and then there are the, th- the God things happening in a church. And these, are the, these, these unnatural things are things that, the, that most people can't understand. So why is this story in the Bible? What is God showing us with this unique glimpse here? And I've asked myself this, you know, for a month. Is God telling us that if one of our young ones t- was to unexpectedly by a turn of circumstances die in the middle of a Sunday gathering that the preacher of the day is supposed to sprawl out over them and pick them up and bring them back from the dead? No. This, by the way, is the last recorded resurrection miracle in the Bible. Can God physically resurrect the dead? Yes, absolutely. Is that the call of discipleship ministry today? No. Are we supposed to labor and focus on the miracle? Are we supposed to focus on the God who did the miracle? So that's not why it's in here, right? So what's the point? It's this. The place where God displays his resurrection power is in the life of the church. So I'm going to say that again. The the place where God displays his resurrection power is in the life of the church. When you walk into a seven-mile road church, you go to any gospel-centered church, for that matter, that day, you go, that day you go would be filled with all sorts of normal, ordinary, human, messy distractions. Preacher might forget what time it is and keep going. The person you're sitting next to might be all natural, not wearing deodorant. My daughter might punch your daughter in the face. A myriad of things could happen. But let's not miss that God is raising the dead in church. We have this Eutychus story as a physical example of the promise of the spiritual reality that is taking place when a hardened sinner going to hell believes in the gospel. It's life from the dead, literally. Christians, wherever they are, if you're one, my place for a second. We're dead with zero affections for Christ. None. And just as Eutychus was dead, you were dead. 
it is just as much a Eutychus mural when someone sits through all the ordinary messiness of church life. It's sticky, it's hot. They go from having little to no affections for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, like a bolt of lightning that hits a tree, they come alive. And all of a sudden, they have affections for Jesus. That is life from the dead. This unordinary, miraculous love of God, it's how we're here and it's why we're here. So this is why these Christians and every Christian since has gathered together on Sunday, has sat under the preached word, and has gathered at Jesus' table to remember his life for us and to us. So what I want to do is close with this. Don't we want to be a church that gathers on Sunday and understands that more is happening than what is simply regular and ordinary? It's not that we need to see a physical resurrection to believe, right? We have that in Scripture. We have that sure thing in Scripture. It's that we should not miss that those who believe in Christ around us today, by grace through faith, have been raised from the dead. Because of that, we should see that we have this future hope in the resurrection, This is the life of the church. Underneath all that ordinary stuff, there is this miraculous of God to raise the dead. This text does remind us, I think, that we should stop for a second and remember that those people sitting next to us were once dead. And that because of the grace and mercy of God, in the same way he brought Eutychus back, he brought that person back from the dead. So Lord's Day worship cannot be something that we simply do on Sunday because it's part of tradition or it's what we've always done or what else would we do on Sunday if we weren't here. It has to be more. We need to remember that when we gather, we really are hearing from God through his word. We really are participating in the life work, death work, and resurrection work of Christ when we partake of the bread and the, the juice. That God has raised the dead in this place and that he has intentions to raise the dead around us by means of this place should sit heavy on us and cause us to rejoice in what's happening in here on a Sunday morning. So as we come up the front and get the bread and get the blood and bring it back to our Seats, would you remember with me that you were like a dead Eutychus and that by the mercy and grace of Jesus, God has brought you back from the dead? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for what you've given us in your word. We have hope of the resurrection now. We have new life in us now. And we hope in Jesus for that future grace we will get as you gather us to yourself. Father, be glorified as we remember the work of the Son this morning. Amen.